coming up on another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. What a crazy Saturday of action it was in the A-League men and even A-League women as well. Crazy games, incredible drama, controversy, uh, and we're going to break it all down. Myself, uh, Christian Marchetti with Cody Ajada and Matt Olsen talking primarily about the drama that unfolded, of course, between Sydney FC and Wellington yesterday, talking a little bit about the Mariners and how they're going, thrashing Adelaide United yesterday, and then Melbourne City, who continue to be on an absolute roll and uh, really destroyed Western United last night as well in the A-League men. And then we'll also talk a little bit about uh, some A-League women stuff as well with Cody and Matt, who, of course, have their own A-League women podcast, Front Page Dub. Go and check that out. Uh, Latest episode was very good, talking a little bit uh, in depth about uh, the Wanderers' struggles in the A-League women, amongst some other topics as well. Some young players who are doing very well in the competition, so go and check that out. As always, frontpagefootball.net. Go and check out our, our latest content. Follow us on our socials as well, Front PG Football on on Twitter, on Instagram as well, and you can look up FPF Home on Facebook and follow us through there as well. So yeah, without further ado, this is a long episode coming up. There's a lot of action, as I said, and uh, it means it's about an hour and a half that we had to take to unpack it all and uh, and uh, give our opinion on what happened. So without further ado, I'm not going to hold up this podcast any longer. I'm your host, Christian Marchetti, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. And yes, you'll notice I did not use the term mini in that title. I didn't say it was a Front Page Football mini podcast because I think the discussion that we're about to have over over the whole bunch of games that we just saw today in the A-League men and A-League women, we'll touch on that as well, and and even yesterday's games as well with, with Victory Raw, uh, Victory Perth in the A-League women, and... Perth um, Wanderers, of course, in the A League men as well. We're we're going to get through a lot because there's so much to dissect from the from the games that we've seen in these last couple of days, uh, and that's why this isn't going to be a mini. This is probably going to be around 50, 60 minutes, and uh, we're going to deep dive into all these different talking points. And I'll be joined by Cody Ajada. Cody, how are we doing today? I am doing fantastic, Christian. Thank you for asking. Always a pleasure to be talking about the two greatest competitions in the world. It's exactly right, and uh, none more so than today. They really, uh, they really showed that they are that they are the two the two greatest competitions. Or well, well two... we lack what well, we lack in quality. We really make up for in entertainment. I think and that's got to yes. be a selling point for the um, oh. APL if they work manage to work out what the hell they're actually planning to do yeah. moving forward. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, and we're also joined by our WA contributor Matt Olson once again. Matt, how are you going? Well, Christian, you could say that on this particular afternoon, there are a lot of things to file in the head inbox, as someone likes to call it. So, yes, a lot to a lot to discuss. Okay, well, we're just talking off air, and I just referred to the fact that I like to have like a mental head inbox, kind of like how you have an inbox in 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 your email. Um, and Matt's now just literally turned that around so quickly and used it as a joke on a podcast that was insane uh and you've just completely railroaded me with that so anyway um moving on 
let, let's get to it. It's it's the main talking point of the action today. It, it was absolute chaos at <laughs> at Allianz Stadium as uh, as Sydney FC lost to Wellington Phoenix at home one nil. Nine men, Wellington Phoenix, who apparently apparently gave away two penalties in stoppage time that were both missed by or one saved and one horrifically missed by Adam Lafondra. Um and Sydney losing one nil despite getting a pretty big helping hand, let's be honest, um, in, in their efforts to equalize. Um and to be honest, a draw at home probably wasn't a good result anyway. So even if they had scored one of those penalties, I don't think they're they're really that up and about about it. Uh, regardless, but Wellington hold on. But let's get into it, Cody. We'll start with you because because you've got some pretty strong opinions on this. So the first penalty decision um, is it's in my opinion, it's just not a penalty, flat out. Um, there's the the only thing, the only defense, uh, which is what I've which is what I've said on um on Twitter was that maybe on that initial cross, uh, Tim Payne's hand is in the air, and maybe it's possible from their angle, whatever they're viewing. Honestly. That- I said I, that same thing watching yeah, it. Yeah. The more I watched it, the more it looked like it went over his hand. I that's the slightest thing, but the thing is every time they checked it, I'll show the replay, but they'll show on the ball hitting his back. Last time I checked, the ball's allowed to hit your back. I'm I'm not a referee. I was, it's been what, maybe seven years since I last refereed a game. And that was only at a mini's level. And I'll be honest, I wasn't very good. There was a reason why I didn't continue. You, did, you didn't have VAR to help you out at, at that level? Or? I didn't have assistance. <laughs> I was lucky to have ground marshals. That, that's that's the level I was refereeing at. But yeah, look, I wasn't a very good referee, but that does that doesn't look like a penalty in my books. The second one, I I know a few people were questioning it. it. It was a penalty. I don't think we can really disagree with that. The fact that they were in that situation in the first place. You, you thought that was a penalty? Yes. Stonewall, like clear as day? Um, it's his arm. I think that's something that we can't deny. I, I think there's a question Whether of it makes though, his body... Yeah. Sorry? I think there's a question of distance with that one. Is he, is he distance, too... yeah. um, if he makes his body bigger, I think that's probably where the questions come in. But if you're solely looking at the fact that whether it hits his arm or not, it does. So you can kind of see why that one's been given. But the fact that they were given... One handball that, well, not given, had it against him. One handball that is dubious whether he had time to react, whether it was actually impacting the play. or And then the second or the first one that was given that genuinely didn't touch an arm at all and touched yeah, his body. It, it, yeah, it's, it's the first. See, see, what's happening here, I think, is that that first one was so, so wrong, in my opinion, that what's happened is... Then two minutes later, when another penalty is given, I mean, straight away, people are going to look for reasons why that's wrong. Uh, but again, it's and, how and, yeah. it's not even coming down to decisions, it's how Sean Evans has managed the game. And yeah, look, I'm not gonna beat around the bush, I ain't gonna tease, I'm getting right to the point because this was a Sean Evans disaster class in reality. I don't think there's another way to describe it. Mm. The ma- fact of the matter is, you've given it's all started from the cry of red card because. Uh, if there probably is a question of a foul. I reckon he's... It's not a yellow, that cra- I reckon uh, initial thought, he's probably gone. Krayev's hit the back of his calf. I'll give the yellow for that. VAR really should be intervening there to say, no, wait, no, he's just lightly grazing. See, can they? That's, that's, the a, back. that's an interesting point, though, because can they actually intervene on second yellow, second bookball fences like that? I think they can. I remember I, I remember I reading about this. I they can because it yeah. does result in a red card. Yeah, but the, I mean, the reality is, 
shouldn't have been given a red card in the first place. Mm-hmm. You've already got Wellington, not their bench, their players and their fans on the opposite side to where you are. Then you have a scuffle, and I understand where Nick Pennington has grabbed uh, Max Burgess by the throat. You do that, you're going to attract attention from the referee. But when you've already got a team building up in hostility towards you, if you're going to go pull two players that have clashed with each other fairly evenly, because you could also say that Max Burgess has lent in with his head, they both probably have as well. But, like, like I was just about to say, when you've already got a team that's building up hostility towards you, and you take two players that have gone at each other, you yellow card one and red card the player on the team that's um already kind of siding against you, you're bound to uh, attract some attention to yourself. And you, we all know what Ufuktar is like. He's a very, very angry man. And today it was very justified because he had a lot of decisions going against him. Then you're going to go to the end of the match, award Sydney FC a penalty for a ball hitting a player in the back, and then on top of that, you're going to give a pe- you're going to give probably the least controversial decision. By then, they fucking hate you, so you can understand yeah. why their hostility is building up. The thing with Sean Evans, and look, I don't want to be the person that's hammering referees because at the end of the day, they're an important part of the game. We need them. We shouldn't be looking for every chance to put down on them. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be void of criticism. And with Sean Evans, we always talk about when these happens with referees. Oh, they need to sit a week out. They need to sit a week out. We have said that that many times to Sean Evans that we need to get to a point where we need to stop asking, should he be sitting a week out? And maybe start asking, how long should he be sitting out for? Because if you're going to keep pulling up performances like that, we're, we're probably going to talk about Leo Laquara later in the pod, and we can talk about the disaster classes he's produced week in, week out, and how that's going to affect his standing in the squad. If Sean Evans is going to produce the disaster classes as a referee where his position in a game is much more important than that of one of 11 players on a team, suddenly it's going to attract attention to yourself. And if you're going to produce performances like that, you need to face punishment for it. Uh, There's no way to beat around the bush with this, unfortunately. And like I said, I don't want to be that guy that's just hamming referees because referees are an important part of our game. But if you're going to referee at that standard, that is not good enough for a professional standard. Yep. Very well said. Uh, Now, on the actual penalties themselves, um, I mean, Alan Lafondra has had an absolute mare. And I think the first penalty, uh, which he shoots with a lot of power, but I mean, the, the height is is very comfortable for, for Oli Sale. And, and, he, and he saves it relatively easily, you know, he parries away pretty well. And then, of course, leads to that, um, to the second penalty. I mean, that was the other thing, right? Is that the second penalty is literally <laughs> comes, originates I think it's pressure. From- I think it's a bit of pressure as well there. Yeah, but it originates from the exact same uh, phase of play of the first penalty. <laughs> so it's just like the the drama is, is is incredible from that from that standpoint. Um, and then the the second penalty. Now I'm I'm coming in straight away. That, that that's one of the worst penalties I've ever seen in A League history. That that has to be up there, and it's it's got to be a top three. Awful penalty. Awful. Uh, look, my mind escapes me with some penalties, but like I think back to Ugarkovic last season against Wellington Phoenix, where he slipped oh, over. I'm going to drop one right that's now a- for you. You remember Harry Kills from Melbourne Heart against Sydney FC? Yeah, look, that's probably a little bit too long ago for my memory, but I've got, I've got the <laughs> Vegas memory of it. You got to yeah, remember. So obviously, well. you remember he kicked, he kicked the, the ball time. to the ground, and and it 
uh, basically dribbled like just wide of the post, but it was just the way he hit it. He basically kicked the ground. Yes, 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 yeah, yes, now, yes, yes, now yes, it's come back, back to me. Yeah. It's come back to me. There you go. Um, but for me, yeah, no, see, that's a genuinely poorly taken penalty. That's he's completely miscued it. Ugarkovic's last season completely miscued it. This one, he's hit it off target. Like he, it's a classic. Yeah, but, 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 but my thing power. was more. But my thing was more like it's such a big moment. He's the guy. You know, we know Lafondra, like, he he gets... I know it's, you know, this season he's not as much so, but he is the guy who gets goals for Sydney FC in, in, in recent times anyway. You've already had a penalty saved. Okay, you know, I kind of felt as he was walking up to it, yeah, he's going to stick it in the other corner or something like that, you know, and he, and he should score this. And then for it to be so horrifically wrong and and with all the with all the drama around the referee and the Wellington players being so angry as well, like, it was just such a such an incredible, uh, you know, climax of the game. See, that's actually where I do kind of disagree with you because you mm-hmm. you, you just you correct me if I'm wrong. I've, my mind has just gone mentally blank for a sec. You said you had you were anticipating a goal, like it was a stonewall goal. That was it, one all. Mm. I I don't know if I agree with that. I think the moment that second penalty was given, that my first thought actually was, watch him miss this, especially if they give it to Lafondra again. You got to think Lafondra probably hasn't been in the best of form, not just this season, but for a while now. And that's that's incredible with Lafondra because he does seem to pop up with goals every now and then still. And probably more so than some other strikers in the A-League. Um, <coughs> Krupic. But anyway, <laughs> the fact... <laughs> needed Jesus to that Christ. Poor, poor Suleiman Krupic just getting a... Yeah, he's not catching a break. He's horrible. Oh, no. I think I take Dino Cressinger in my side. The point is, you're putting a player that's low on confidence, out of form, in a situation like that with... The most amount of pressure built on you. You've been awarded a second penalty in one of the most controversial games I've seen, at least in recent A-League memory, probably since the Melbourne City Mariners game last season, which, surprise, surprise, Sean Evans was refing. But the point is, you're putting a guy in that situation, and on top of that, he has already missed a penalty in that match? He, I don't understand why they wouldn't let... I can't remember if Caceres is still on the field or not, but if he was, I don't know why they wouldn't get him to take it. Or literally anybody else. Not to disrespect um, Adam Lafondra. He is a great striker. He's a great finisher. Usually that's his bread and butter. But in that situation, he would not have been in the right mental space to take a penalty. And he's gone. He's tried to do what he has to do, but he's miscued it. He's, he's, he's completely... I think just saying... What, what I'm saying is, I think just simply saying he's miscued it is like... He's very, very generous to Adam Lafondra. I mean, it's a, it's an absolute It's probably moment. generous. I'm, I'm taking into account the pressure that would have been on him as well. And no, there's I, a I, lot of players that have done a lot worse in yeah. pressure like that. Yeah, and I get that, uh, of course, as well. All right, I'm going to bring Matt in uh, to yes, give hello. his give to give his perspective on on what happened there, and then I've got another point that I kind of want to get to around the, I guess, the whole kind of reaction around it. But uh, Matt, yeah, uh, your your take on the events uh, that transpired. Yeah, look, so, so, so I think um, the thing that struck me is the the pure disgust in sort of the commentary from Simon Hill and. Uh, on, a, on a personal note, obviously, congratulations to Simon Hill. It, it is the uh, 20th anniversary of him becoming an Australian resident uh, today, as a matter of fact. So Holy that's, shit. That's pretty is cool. this Andrew Howe uh, or, or Matt Olsen on this podcast? <laughs> no, no. Uh, Simon was talking about it before the game uh, this morning, so I just thought I'd mention that. To be fair, if I hadn't already seen Matt Olsen and Andrew Howe in the same room, I probably would believe that they're the same person. Their, yeah, their knowledge right, is very right. similar. Very funny, Heidi. Very funny. <laughs> 
Look, um, uh, Simon Hill's commentary, I mean, he, I thought he, he nailed it, and he, he always does. He's, he's, he's the goat of, of A-League commentary, obviously, but but his his ability to sort of call the game and the scene as it was going on really summed up the way that everyone watching that. Really so, so, Matt, if um, I could just very just quickly, and I'll let you obviously continue if I just quickly interject. Yep. Simon, uh, now, he, he kind of let himself go a little bit, I think, on the second penalty when it was called, and he kind of had to say, like, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he basically gave his opinion on it. Uh, and yeah. obviously, as a commentator, you want to try and kind of act neutral you, you and do, not with really. it. And, and, Abs- and he said, "Absolutely, yeah, absolutely." But the the thing is, a hundred percent of the people watching sort of feel that way, yeah. and I think that's yeah. where, as a commentator and as a professional, you can get away with it. Hmm. Um, mind you, mind you, had that been from from you know Ben Homer or one of the, the less experienced commentators, you know, you think about Nick Meredith when he was being a, a biased Brisbane Raw commentator way back in the day for for Fox Sports. I mean, yeah, you kind of you know you you kind of would would get the vibes, and there'd be a lot of angry tweets about it. So I, I say that in in jest, obviously. But look, look um, I think I think he's almost gone as far as to say that the the second penalty being missed was deserved. And you guys have spoken about this. You guys have touched on it. But um, just on Adam Lafondra, I think the ability of of well, the, the lack of ability that that has really come to fruition with him over the last few years is is pretty obvious that that Sydney FC are, are really quite stale now. And it's clear to me that that uh, Stephen Corica has sort of lost that edge that the club had for many years. Um, and I don't think he's that far off from sort can of we put a slight, if we're, we we're put being a slight pin in in this corridor stuff because I, I think we'll get to that in a second. Um, okay, just just on the on the drama and stuff. Now a lot of stuff coming out, kind of as this was unfolding on on Twitter and stuff. A lot of people kind of maybe entranced by the by the drama and and kind of like this is almost like this is fantastic. Um, and and it kind of just made me think. Well, I, I don't think. You know, you can really believe uh, an A-League game is, well, a drama like that is good for the league and good for the A-Leagues when it's created through pretty controversial decisions. Um, And okay, yeah, I know a lot of people are actually going to click on it though, and that is going to give it eyeballs, which I understand. Um, Mm. But, you know, I'd rather see what we saw in the later game, which was Marco Tilio just setting Western United alight, for example. And, and and that's the thing that's getting people, you know, clicking on and, and, and watching uh watching our game. Um so I guess there was a slight irritation from my from my sense with that. Um but as as someone pointed out to me, which which I think is fair as well, is that sport is drama and and you know you that is kind of these things happen and and you know you have to you have to um understand that Drama is drama. So um, there's 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 two yeah. there's two things to say to that question. The first mm. is how often do you see two missed penalties within yeah. a few minutes, and how often do you see clubs down to nine men? So from that mm. perspective, yeah, action or plenty. I also think that the only reason we're looking at this positively is because of the club who's who's benefited from it. Wellington, who haven't won a game at the SFS in probably over a decade. I don't know. No, no. So that's like, actually like that's eight, actually interesting that you mentioned that. So I think it, it was it seven years. Seven no, no, years, no, okay. no, no. Well, actually, actually, it would feel like that, but it was actually December 2018 um, was actually the last time oh. Wellington won uh, in in Sydney. <laughs> so actually, my bad, you did say at the SFS. So I don't know SFS, exactly yeah. how long it's been since they won at the SFS. So that's a good point. But in Sydney... Yeah, they would have beaten them at Cogra, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, well, David no, fair, Ball fair said enough. that they hadn't beat Sydney FC since he joined the club. So... 
I think that's it. Yeah, enough. yeah. But the whole the whole thing with Ufuktale was because well, he, he must have joined after that. So, yeah, of, yeah. of of Ufuktale and and Steve Corica's sort of brand of of football. The games between them were always absolute bangers to watch, but mm. it's obviously it's morphed into a bit more of a, a nuance uh, with the development and the ability and everything else that sort of changed over the last you know, two, two or three years, really. But the, the point I was getting to, right, uh, Christian and Cody, is that you know if, if Sydney FC were the ones winning this game one nil, um, I can tell you that the the community as a whole would be responding to it totally differently. Um, that's just a fact. Um, Sydney FC are a club uh, for one reason or another to really dislike uh, in situations like this and claims of, oh, well, there's bias and there's, you know, there's favoritism for Sydney and FFAFC and all this crap that's been going on for years. But I can tell you, if they're the ones that win this 1-0, no one's talking about drama. Everyone's pissed off. And this also goes back to what I was saying about Simon Hill almost saying on the commentary that it was deserved and and that kind so of... He, that, I remember now, I remember he said... He said after the second penalty had been missed, he yelled out, justice has been done. Justice, and then he said, and yeah. then he caveated it with, in my opinion, <laughs> which I thought was actually <laughs> kind of funny in the moment. I can't chuckle a little bit um, because, yeah. you know, as as we do sometimes, you know, you got to make sure that you're not being completely biased or anything like that. Yeah, and it was just funny that Simon had the awareness in that in that moment to, to kind of uh, control himself as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, Matt, did you, have, did you have something you wanted to add there? I was elaborating on that a little bit more, but I figured that we've touched on the game enough anyway. And um, I, th- I think my point was very well understood there anyway. I yeah. Think yeah. So I the think fact that on it's the... Wellington away at City yep. that, that, that benefits from this and um, seeing LaFondre miss and, and, and that, I think that's just that adds to a bit of rose tinted glasses about the whole, the whole way that we're viewing this game and the fact that we're talking about maybe some of the drama being good. So yeah, it goes it goes both ways because again, nine men, you know, that doesn't happen every day. Uh, the missed penalties in injury time doesn't happen, so it's good and it's cool, but it's also yeah. like, yeah, that was that was a terrible refereeing display, and let's not let's not sugarcoat that. Yeah, absolutely, well put, well put. Um, and you know, it, it's interesting because you mentioned, yeah, like the the drama and stuff, and and we're, we're talking about that and and the penalty decisions, um. And you, you mentioned Corriger before, so I guess now for Sydney FC, where this where this leaves them, um, it's it's just that the whole reaction now to the result from a Sydney standpoint is is very very negative. They had a good win against Newcastle last week, um, which I watched and they played quite well. I think the game kind of played into their hands uh, relatively well, but now they're eighth, uh, back to eighth, and there just doesn't seem to be a pathway to consistency with this team. At the moment, and I think that's probably the very frustrating thing. I mean, Cody, maybe speak to this a little bit. What's what's in your opinion that the fundamental issue when you're watching Sydney FC at the moment? Honestly, I'd be out of ideas. It, it's it's a strange situation because you're talking about a club that is one, probably the biggest in Australia, maybe bar Melbourne Victory. And at times you see it; it's probably it's I think consistency, which you mentioned, is probably the biggest issue. But when they're playing well. They do look like a side that deserves to be not even just mm. top six, maybe even pushing for the top four. Mm. But then there's other times like today where they don't look like a side that deserves to be in finals at all. It's I don't know if that's a character issue. I don't know if that's a player issue where maybe just some players just don't have uh, the right mentality in certain situations. But you look at even the talent that they have in their side, they really should be doing a lot better. Even last season, like if people were saying, yeah, they kind of fell off that and they had maybe some players underperforming, maybe some players out injured, they still had the squad that should have, they still had a squad that was good enough to make the finals. So the fact that they didn't last season, going into this season, they've given Corica six games to turn the club around. They hit the end of the six games and then they went 
Oh, okay. Yeah, he's had a few players injured. We'll give him a few uh, more weeks after um, the World Cup break. Let Rodwell come back. Let a few other things sort themselves out. We'll see how it goes. They've come back from the World Cup break. They're still in eighth. So I had actually questioned a little bit whether the board's too scared to sack Corica because he's got such a high reputation in the club. But if you're looking at this from objective sense, if you want to just put a simple line in the sand and go, yep, from here on, we need to set a certain expectation. I know it's not usually the first person you've got to point at, but well, it's, it's, the, first, it's the first person that's usually getting pointed at whether, whether that's right or wrong. But in this case, that's got to start with Corico, and I think the best way they're going to do that is by looking also for a new coach. And considering talks of a shortlist have been going on since the back end of last season, they should have an idea of who they want to bring in. So why they're hesitant on making that decision, whether they do actually have faith in Corica and what he's doing. But I don't look at this side and think that they're in a position to, while ever Corica's at the helm, at least they're in a position to really go and be the side that Sydney FC fans expect them to be. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to, now it's actually jogged my memory again. We were talking actually about Wellington's last win and stuff in Sydney. Now, that was actually December 2018. Now, that would have been under Mark Marco. Of course, he was actually Mark Rudin at the time, but now he's Marco Rudin. Uh, now, that would have been under Marco Rudin. Uh, and I believe, going to David Ball's comments, David Ball did not play under Marco Rudin. So, uh, if, if again... Off well, David moment, Ball joined the club. David uh, Ball's exclusively Andrew Fukutale's time. That's right, know, that's right. So, so that yeah, that is his first win in Sydney as a, as a Wellington player then. That that would make sense. Um, okay, uh, just on Sydney though... Of course, now, Luke Bratton, I I believe, because I did watch the Adelaide game, uh, of course, the, the dual kickoffs was not uh, was not pleasant. But obviously, Luke Bratton, I believe, was a late out for, for Sydney FC going into this game. And then Patrick Gazbeck had to be subbed after 10 minutes. So there are, I guess, some some mitigating factors to this a little bit. Um, but I mean, it was it was nice to see Adrian Sekicic actually get a pretty good run for Sydney FC, um, which which is good. Um, and I guess on the, the flip th- side, just just yeah, I, I, I will let I, I do apologize for interrupting, but you're talking about no, Adrian right. Sekicic. He's finally had the chance to really get some minutes. Brian brought on early in the game. Obviously, the circumstances aren't great. Um, hopefully, Paddy Asbeck um, isn't out for too long, but. They've had to chase the game. They've taken on. They've have someone like Adrian Sekicic, who I actually believe is one of the best um, young playmakers in Australia currently, maybe by Marco Tilio. But when you need someone to step up and help at least create something for your side, and you're taking him off, that does raise a lot of questions in my book. So yeah, it was nice to see him get what 50, 60 minutes, mm. but. They had, considering they brought him on as well, they brought him on as a sub. What what did they gain out of taking him off? Mm. Yeah, not very good point. Sorry to interrupt um, you. So no, 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 no. Very good point. Very good point. Um, because at the end of the day, I was, as I said, I was watching the watching the Mariners Adelaide game, which we'll get to in a second. Um, and I'm not too familiar with the ins and outs, of course, of this one, of course, because of the uh, simultaneous kickoffs as well. But um, you want to touch on that at all? The simultaneous just, kickoffs. Just, yeah, just... Yeah, the I mean, is this going to be is this going to be a lengthy Matt Olson tangent? Or no, no, is this no, not at, be brief? not at all. I just I just want to okay. say that that there was a very clear reason why Paramount Plus stopped it after last season, uh, and for the for for them to just randomly bring it up in round eleven, like, I don't really see the need for it, and I don't mm. really understand why. So I think they had yeah. it scheduled in from before the start of the competition, though. 
like I think for these rounds going forward, they were meant to be yeah, simultaneous I... kickoffs. So they got them going to the end of the season. Yeah, no, so I think I think no, the next weird thing is though the weird thing it's is every, though, it's not every week. It's just on and off randomly. Mm. Maybe, maybe, but like this week, it's strange because tomorrow, uh, at least my time, you've got you've got Newcastle MacArthur playing at two thirty, and then there's an A League Women game on at three thirty, and then there's nothing basically nothing where in they, between. You, yeah, that's yeah. That's you could have put twelve pm kickoff in WA for the men's game. Just, just yeah, quite odd. Yeah, whereas next week, Matt, we've got uh, A-League men on the Sunday. We've got A-League men 2.30, 4.30, and then at 6.30 is an A-League women game. So it actually works quite nicely with with the two competitions mm-hmm. kind of aligning nicely so you can basically watch three games in a row, uh, you know, quite easily. Okay, let's uh, let's move on a little bit to the earlier action on Saturday. So uh, let's talk about the, the team, the team in my city where I am right now because the Hay got... Their ass absolutely handed to them um, by the Central Coast Mariners, and you, you just can't sugarcoat it. Adelaide United were absolutely destroyed in Gosford, and and I watched the game, and basically, I mean, from from yeah, from minute one to ninety, it was just a just a Mariners masterclass, simple as that. And Adelaide were just not at the races. Um, Sam Silvera, I want to touch on him because he was absolutely exceptional in this game and made a point. Um, leading into the game that Garen Qual's departure kind of opens up a, a, spot, a spot for someone to, to really kind of, you know, try and nail down um, and, and there's going to be competition there. So you've got obviously Maresh who did, a, did an interview at halftime about his injury and stuff, but he's hoping to come back at some point. But with Silvera starting, it opened up a really good opportunity for him to, to really nail it down and put in a good performance. And he was by far their best player. Um, in this game, and and the Mariners were really just that liberty to do whatever they wanted. So, um, yeah, they were they were superb, four near winners. Um, but did uh, did you guys catch this one? Because again, with the simultaneous kickoffs, I'm I'm uh, just trying to to see what uh, how much we took in from from the game. Don't worry, I've I've mastered the art of the Paramount Plus uh, split screen uh, on my computer, so I, I definitely did. The one thing I'll just say about uh, Samuel Silvera is what a weird career projection the guys mm. had. Mm. Um, 1920, he basically was the Mariners' Garen Uh and he looked to have a really high ceiling, was getting a move to the MLS, and then he's just he's a randomly appeared at the Jets, come back to the Mariners, and has sort of been doing nothing for the last like one and a half to two years. So... Um, mm. It was a pleasant surprise, I think, to see him. But but obviously he now it was it was a credit as, as an own goal. But obviously he would have scored the first first one, but for a, a sort of a deflection that um, basically found the ball in the back of the net. Um, and he he created he created the, the chance is more or less what I'm trying to say. Mm. And I just re- recall sort of turning to someone uh, and saying like, you know where has Samuel Silvera actually been the last few years and 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 what what is it that stopped him from reaching those higher limits and and the reason that it's a question worth asking is because you know player development youth academies all this kind of stuff that we struggle with in the A league and a particular pro- uh, problem with with developing players in the A league but also just from an international perspective imagine if he was playing at Garing Paul's level the whole time imagine if he had made that move to the MLS and was was playing better it's a big question to ask because he's basically lost two years of of really, of you know, a really, really important uh, period of his career, but uh, that, that all of that aside, um, you know, the, that window of opportunity to, for him to get back to that form that he was at in 1920, it's a really, really big boost for the Mariners, and I don't think there'll be too big of an absence um, through through sort of Gary Qualls uh, move to Europe. So I'm 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 promised to buy that. 
Um, and the one thing that I also want to touch on with the Mariners, because we haven't actually had uh, an opportunity to talk much on the Mariners uh, in podcast form. That's Christian. true. Yes. Um, I'm really pleasantly surprised and actually quite proud of the performances of Brian Kelter as a light. Um, a signing from Vanuatu of all places to see an OFC football. So, so can I can I just can I just jump in here for a second yeah, because yeah, Brian Caltech more specifically was a signing from from the MPOSA here, um, where he played and he had a very brief stint uh, for FK Beograd here in South Australia, uh, last year in the MPL, and it was clear, very clear in the brief in the brief appearances that he had here that he was way too good for MPL level, um, and and I guess that's now showing in in his performances at A level, but um, Matt and I know you're you're really into the into the niche cultural stuff and and him yeah, being yeah, from course. Vanuatu is is makes that really cool but seriously no, no one would have expected him to to fit in so seamlessly and it's interesting because you know you look at both center back pairings in this game you've got Lockie Bars very similar I guess where he's come from the MPL with with a young Alex Popovich and the Mariners are kind of similar with with Triantis being that youngster next to Caltech from the MPL but uh, on this occasion, just, the one thing yeah. I'll just say it's it's not and not to discredit uh what you're saying here, Christian, but it's not an exclusive product of the MPL in South Australia. It's quite the opposite. The thing no, Brian Kotak yeah. is, yeah. he has been grinding his way through the system in Australia, yeah. and if that's if that's the pathway that's set for players from Oceania, I mean, obviously Roy Krishna would be really the only other one. Uh, Dan Hall, who also plays for the Mariners, is mm. technically a Fiji international, but if he steps up, he'll probably represent an Australian team in the future. Um, but the, for, for me, the thing is knowing that, 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 that grind is there through the MPL New South Wales, the MPL Victoria, the MPL SA, whatever it be, um, you know, that there's a lot of talent that we could really squeeze out there and it can be mutually beneficial for us and for, for countries like Vanuatu in the future. So it's an interesting case study, really. Um, he's 28, so he's, he's not exactly a spring chicken, but his performances to, to really be a solid rock. And then the combination you know, going forward with with um, a lot of a lot of the pace and and, and youth uh, that, that the Mariners have in midfield, it's it's a really positive sign. So I just wanted to touch yeah, on that. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think just some other players in the Mariners, uh, Cummings and Tulio were, were very good in this game. It was it was just the amount of space that those two in particular were given in between the lines um, in this game was was just kind of uh, mind boggling to be honest. Adelaide defensively were were passive. They were very similar to to what we saw from Western United just then in the in the in the last game of the of the day. And yeah, just just allowed the Mariners to really do what they liked in an attacking sense. A guy who's really, in my opinion, come a come a long way in an attacking sense, particularly this season, is Jacob Farrell. Uh, and he was really good in this game um as well. And, and Ben Halloran who just you know, he has his inconsistencies uh, as, as a right wing of Adelaide United. But defensively today, I mean, he didn't help Panash Madanha at all, who I was actually surprised to see him starting again because although he was very good on Monday against Perth in his in his debut, there was a feeling um, from Calviet yesterday that, that Javi Lopez, although suffering from a bit of groin soreness, was actually going to be okay for this game. Yet he hasn't actually been named in the squad at all and Panash is there again. Um, and in an attacking sense, he, he definitely gives you a nice outlet and he picks up some good positions. But I mean, particularly in the second half, you could see the Mariners, they, they really heavily uh, attack down that left side. Um, and, and Silvera was very comfortable in 1v1s um, and Farrell overlapping. And it was just absolute chaos and, and carnage for, for Adelaide United. So um, yeah, not good for them. And it's probably the first time I have to say where... You know, you've gone on social media and you're actually starting to see some Adelaide fans because of how bad they've been since the since the break, um, actually kind of 
get really frustrated now with Carl Viet. And then there's now some kind of, you know, rightly or wrongly, there's some kind of Viet out kind of stuff coming out and, and this sort of thing. I mean, the, the table's so tight that I think, you know, entertaining that sort of talk is probably a bit ridiculous at this stage. But it's, yeah, it's just, it's very, it's a three losses in five for Adelaide. And, and if you'd said that going into the World Cup break after the result they had against victory, I, I'd be very surprised, Cody. It's an interesting one because Vid actually, since he's taken over Adelaide, in my opinion, has been pretty good. I mean, he's been consistently in finals, consistently in that top four space as well. But I think, at least from my point of view, the discourse I see around Twitter, social media and all the likes, the discourse isn't really around the performances more so. It's more around his decision-making and maybe his style of play. I know a lot of people are a little bit frustrated that they have a double pivot of a 37 and a 36-year-old Spanish duo. When you've got the likes of Dorigo, Johnny Yule kind of sitting in the wings. Johnny Yule particularly, he's someone that I was really excited to see flourish this season after how he's gone with the MPLSA. Got that trial at Chelsea at the end of the season, if I'm correct? Yes. From memory? I don't remember yes. when that came around. I do remember yeah. that happening, though. You're talking about a player of that quality, that Chelsea's seeing something in him, yet he's not even making the bench at an A-League level. That is quite surprising to me. And I can understand, as an Adelaide, as Adelaide fans... If you have a play like that in your ranks, you're going to want to see him on the field, the same as Mariners with the 10,000 youth products that they produce because they just seem to be churning him out um, constantly. To be, but, fair, to be fair, just on that, this game is the youth products derby. Both of these clubs <laughs> producing at an incredible rate. So, oh, that, of course. But, and I even mentioned, saw someone mention the fact about Nestoria Rancunda where Adelaide were kind of getting smashed and on the back foot and he still wasn't really being given much of a run. And I know... Him and Viet may I have think a it would have been futile in, in a game like this. I mean, what you're going to bring on? It would have been futile, but you could also send yeah. a player like out without any pressure in that regard. Yeah, in that regard, yeah. you send him on the field, just go, look, you know what? We've lost anyway. Just go see what you can do. You never know what's going to happen. And yeah. the reality is, any minutes that a player is going to get, especially that age, it's not a waste. At least you're putting someone on with the purpose of, yep, look, this is just going to be about your development. It's not like you're going to go and put a 35 year old this on at the end of his career and it's like, oh, what the fuck am I going to do here? At least it's a 16 year old, they're always going to want to play, they're always going to fight. They could be down seven, eight, nine nil for fuck's sake. Mm. Nestor and Condo, you know what he's like, he's going to run or chase anything down. He'll act like it's nil all. So, in that regard, I can understand why Adelaide's, Adelaide fans are kind of growing impatient with Viet. I don't know if it's a stage where you're saying Viet out, Viet out. Adelaide's still in the sixth, I've got to remember that. And their record isn't too bad this season. Their goal difference probably is skewed by a couple of heavy losses. It does seem to be a thing with Adelaide, though, where when they do lose, they lose a little bit. Well, you, you know, it's interesting though, because you go back to like the, the, the Josip Gombau era, for example. Now, Adelaide fans were a lot different because probably the football that was being played and attempted to be playing was a lot more attractive. There was an there. identity. And there was an identity. That's exactly right. And look, it's not like there's not an identity with, with, with Carl Viet. I think that the frustration is is the double pivot thing if is correct. And, I could and, in- interject again. Yeah. There also is the fact that Josef Gombau was probably one of the most lovable characters yeah, in yeah, A-League history. No, no, I, 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 I still mean, have dreams, dreams about that guy. I love him yeah. so much. Let's not forget that he flopped at Wanderers. That did, come on. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't want to turn this into a Josef Gombau discussion I, I, right. I will die on this hill. He did <laughs> no, not no, get no. given enough of a chance at the Wanderers. Look, can I, if, if I can just if I can just uh, hold the conversation for, for, a quick, for a hot minute. Look, COVID out talk is absurd because of the state of the table and also because there are clubs whose whose managerial situation is far worse. Um and you know, take a look at the mirror. Well, I wasn't the I wasn't that, saying that... it's like a big kind of like it's a 
big thing now amongst other. No, I don't think so. I just I'm saying, saying that, that, but, but, in. That's I more that. but I'm saying yeah. that the suggestion is the suggestion in and of itself is pretty daft because Carl, yeah. Carl Beard has also overseen a lot of these youth academy players True. getting into the system and has overseen a lot of that. He at the end of the day, the one thing that I praise about Carl Beard and Warren Moon as well, they're local managers. They understand the system. They've come through the system and they reflect that. So that there's your there's your identity. You want the identity, but obviously you're talking about a tactical identity. Yeah, that's right, and a playing different. style. That that's exactly yeah, right. Exactly. And I think it's it's very as we know look it's very cross heavy um and the thing is for for adelaide is that today i mean they just had no sense of control and possession at all and and what was interesting is watching that game on monday against perth was yeah like adelaide were good but in the actual moments where perth were quite comfortable sitting in and, and they you know kind of parked the bus and things like that uh, which they did for, for definitely the first half of that game i mean adelaide really struggled to break them down and they they're just kind of today we're very much you know kind of banking on transition moments again uh craig goodwin had a really poor game it has to be said a third goal we just completely lost uh lost his man in, the, in that set piece routine which is really disappointing um and joe gauchy had a really uncharacteristically in my opinion pretty poor game as well where where he just didn't display the same kind of confidence in goals that he usually does and then there's the ibisuki thing where you know, what he can provide is is really some really good qualities and something that not a lot of strikers can do in the league. Again, going back to Monday's game, some of his hold-up play was absolutely superb in that game, yet you get moments like today where you're t- playing a really good Mariners team that has to be respected, and then when you get those moments on the break and those half chances from cross into the box, you want your foreign striker to actually maybe get on the end of it try and manufacture some kind of finish, you know, get something on target to test the keeper. And um, he just isn't quite doing that maybe at the moment uh, for them. So, yeah. The thing and then with, of course, with Suki, I reckon he yeah. is a bit of a one-dimensional striker. And I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, if there is a defender in the league that is well-suited to shut down Ibasuki, it probably is Brian Kaltak. From a physical standpoint, yeah, physically, Caltech's yep. probably a little bit that little bit quicker. He's got a bit of more technical ability on the ball. He's intelligent enough to make sure he's marking Ibasuki out of the game. Ibasuki, I'm sure this isn't a hot take or anything. His best asset is his height. No one's yeah. going to catch him in the air. But when you've got someone like Brian Caltech, who maybe I'm not thinking is too tall because he's that stocky, he doesn't look as tall as what he probably is, but. He's someone that if you're if you want anyone marking Ibasuki in the competition out of the, out of the centre backs in the league, at least on face value, off the top of my head, the first person that's coming to my mind is like Brian Caltech. Maybe Leo Lacroix last season, maybe Marcelo. Actually, I forgot about him. I do apologise, but yeah, you wouldn't have Leo Lacroix marking him this season. But Brian Caltech probably is someone that's well suited to shutting an Ibasuki out of a football match. Yeah, no, no, um, fair point, fair point. Um, okay, I'm just going to quickly touch on. Isaias, because we haven't really mentioned him. And of course, you know, I'll, I'll quickly touch on it. And I think we need to talk a little bit about the Melbourne City West United game and, and a couple of other things. Um, and, I'm, and I'm cautious of the time. So, Isaias, who since his return to the club, as it's very clear that he's not the same player that he was. And he makes a decision where Adelaide have had a poor first half. Uh, you know, they've gone in 1 0 down, but although they've conceded a lot of the territory and the Mariners are controlling the game, you know, that they're very much still in the game and can turn it around that, that it's, it's very achievable. Um, and look, he, he goes in and he, and he shouldn't go in the way he does, right? You know, you're from behind. Don't try and win the ball there. You know, it's, it's, it's risk. It's a big risk, but, um, for me, he probably just gets the timing wrong and, and it makes it look maybe worse than, than what he was 
basically trying to do, which was just kind of nick the ball away. So um, he gets that wrong. It, it is still a daft decision to go in like that. And he he's another one who's now really starting to, to cop some heat from Adelaide fans. And I think what's really stark about Isaias is that he he just doesn't have the, the same control over games anymore like he used to. I mean, he there were, you know, he would have just games in his previous stints where just everything flowed through him, um, you know, in the build-up phase and everything. And actually almost putting him in a double pivot and not having him as a central pivot where as a central six, which where he used to operate uh, very often uh, by himself in, in previous iterations of Adelaide United, um, is almost harming him in a way. I think that it, the double pivot thing is it's not just making Adelaide a little bit stale in possession, but it's also maybe harming both one day and Isaiah from a point of view that one of them by themselves is probably better for the team and, and actually having a, a more advanced number eight like a Johnny Yo, like you're saying, Cody, is, is probably better for the team going forward. Having having Johnny Yo and Zach Clough maybe is two eight slash tens ahead of a one day slash Isaiah as opposed to both is probably going to unlock this midfield more. But yeah, just just the point I want to make about about Isaiah because he has been an excellent fantastic servant for, for Adelaide United but also just the league in general he's been an absolute superb foreigner uh probably a a top 10 maybe I don't know it's it's probably a hot take I don't know but the yeah he, he's been a great servant and he's just kind of hitting that stage where it's it's becoming difficult to see a roadmap for him being in a successful a successful team that's maybe competing for 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 the title so uh that's probably where the frustration is coming from but anyway i want to move on to melbourne city because melbourne city uh put in a real champagne performance uh some champagne football against western united in uh in the second iteration of the grand final rematch this season they were three nil up by the 25th minute um and basically what we got from western united was a reversion back to their performance from that round one fixture but pretty much 10 times worse. Um, and you mentioned him before, Cody, and I'll let you maybe talk about him again because Leo Lacroix um, has has down has doubled down on his uh, on his bad form this season by delivering um, another shambolic performance. Uh, on the flip side, Marco Tilio, who absolutely rinsed him for the first goal, has to be said, and, and Leo Lacroix, Western United, back to square one. Um, for anyone that read our season preview, where well, not our season preview, our season predictions, where we kind of spoke about who we all thought was going to win the premiership, who we all thought was going to win the grand finals, um, our top sixes. If anyone saw my prediction for the Johnny Warren medal, no, you didn't. Let's just <laughs> leave it at that. Um, Leo Lacroix, and I said this, I banged the drum about him a lot last season because, in all honesty, in recent memory especially considering the position he plays, he has been one of my favorite. He was one of my favorite players to watch probably in A-League history last season. And, that, and that's that's a big claim to make for someone that's a centre-back. It was virtually unbeatable. And for someone that plays in the position that he is, and for someone with the physique that he has, was very, very graceful on the ball. He was able to skip past players, could find a pass anywhere. He didn't he scored, what, two or three goals. It was decent in the air, which you'd probably expect from a player of that size, I guess. But the fact of the matter is, he was he was a joy to watch, and it's not often you say that about uh, say that about a centre back. So for him to do a complete one eighty this season and actually be one of the most frustrating people in the competition to watch because last season I used the word elegant before, 
Um, it's quite the opposite this season. It's like watching a giraffe on ice skates a little bit, especially on that second goal. It's a nice turn, by the way, where he kind of scooped the ball and turned it into his own net. If he was doing it on the other side, we'd be sitting there going, oh, wow, that's one of the goals of the week. But no, he did it in the wrong net. So that's not great. But it's it's honestly a very, very sad decline. And it's it's very telling of how the West the direction that West United are going in. And I guess if you look at their transfer activity before the start of the season, you could kind of see that they're already going downhill. I can't see a side signing Jacob Tratt and doing well. Jacob Tratt probably is one of the more frustrating people for me watching the A-League. I don't know. I thought he was actually he's... right at LA United, funnily enough. But anyway. <laughs> no, but, I don't as know. You saying, as you were saying. <laughs> yeah, look. Seeing their decline, it's in a way it's sad, but in a way maybe it's a thing of other teams are just not necessarily catching up to them because there was a lot of teams with the same quality as them. But maybe catching on on their style of play, they were a very defensive side the last season. And as much as Alexander Priovic is a fantastic striker, very, very one-dimensional and maybe a little bit over-reliant on him. Having him missing for a large portion of the start of the season wouldn't have done any help to confidence. Coming in now, even with him back, obviously they they were a different side once he was able to start playing. They were able to get some points on the board, but maybe that confidence kind of hasn't. Yeah, but you know, yeah, recovered. I think Tony, yeah, I, I agree. But you know what I'm starting to see now, I think with with teams as they're approaching Western is they know what they want to do. They know they want to sit in and play on the counter. That's what they did to such great effect last year, and they know that their out ball was Alexander Prijevic. And now teams are going, oh, okay, that's great. No worries. Every time that you win the ball back back off of us, we're going to basically just trigger a press straight away that's going to be suffocating and aggressive. And a team like Melbourne City, and there's no there's no wonder why there's no better team to do that. Yeah, they're the, they're the absolute perfect team to do that. Um, and they just completely suffocated them. Um, and just for Western, what what what's really concerning? If I was a West United fan, is you know, there's players out there who are kind of having some audible altercations like that you can kind of hear like and pick up in the effects mic during the game, which isn't great. Um, you know, the amount of cheap goals they're giving away where just like on, the, on that second goal, um, I know you mentioned Lacroix, the own goal, but Tomoki Imai slips like just kind of out of nowhere. Um, and that's crazy and, because Tomoki Imai, since yeah. he's come back into the side, they look much more short in mm. defense. I wouldn't say like Western United's defense has been horrible this season. I, w- I don't know if I'd include M.I. in that conversation simply because he hasn't been around for much of their worst periods. Mm-hmm. Lacroix probably has been synonymous with their downfall. Risden and Garuccio, I don't want to say they've been bad, but they definitely haven't been as good as what they were well, last well, season. Well, Garuccio got... still leads um, the competition attack yeah. in tackles, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure he's also I'm not, not sure, but Garuccio, I mean, he... he... Got absolutely destroyed by by Marco Tilio tonight. We'll we'll get to Melbourne City a little bit in a second, but I want to talk about Marco Tilio because I mean, if that was a performance to basically say to Rado Vidicic, hey, that the last manager was skeptical about starting me, but you better start me every week because um, you know I can be a very very promising and prominent attacking outlet, and that was um a really big kind of statement performance I thought from him right from minute one. He was on it. Uh, that goal was absolutely fantastic. Again, another cheap giveaway from from Connor Payne. Looked like a mix up between him and Garuccio. But then Tilo just he just he's so he's got this low center of gravity. He keeps the ball so close to him, and 
I mean, I don't really know what Lacroix is doing, the way he kind of just lets Tilo skip by him a little bit too easily for my liking. But the confidence that this kid is showing is, is absolutely terrific. Um, and Andrew Nabu, to his credit, came off the bench and scored and, and did himself no harm trying to win his spot back. But, I mean, how does this guy not play every week? He, he, he's, this, this, he's got to lock the place in now, in, in my opinion. Yeah, when Tilio's playing like that, he is up there with probably the best, maybe even the best winger in the competition, bar Goodwin and Lecky, who were the ones that kept him out of the Socceroos squad. But you mentioned Grucha before and how he's probably he got skinned by Tilio, probably end up with nightmares of him. When, well, when you, he, you know when he hobbled playing. off, sorry, sorry, Kurt, I'll let you, I'll let you continue to say when he hobbled off in the second half, Grucha, I was on my, I actually made a joke that you know I wonder if he's doing this on purpose just to literally like get off the pitch and get away from Marco Tilia. So, yeah. Yeah, look, when you've got a winger playing like that, there's very, very few left backs in world football that could stop someone like that in that kind of form with that kind of confidence. And I do think it speaks a bit more to Tilio in that specific situation than what it does about Garuccio. Tilio, we've been saying for years how special a talent he is. And it's not about if he's going to get a move to Europe, but when, if he's going to play like that, I think you could probably draw the comparisons with Alzani where it is a style of play where if you go to Europe, there's already thousands of players that play like that. But when you have a player that is at the level that he is, there's going to be a club that goes, hey, look, we could do with another option like this. Let's give him a go. Tilio, if I'm not mistaken, he's of Italian background? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even if, look, it may be selling him short. If he were to go to maybe a mid to high table B club, just to get his foot in the door, get somewhere where he's going to get regular minutes and possibly have a strong impact where he goes, you're talking about a player that could actually have an impact in Europe. And if you build on that, does well in Serie B, ends up in a team promoted at Serie A, suddenly you're talking about another player in Europe's top five leagues, that's Australian. So there's options for him. I do believe it's um, a matter of when now, because if you're playing like that, not to sell short the A-League, but you're, you're too good to stay domestic, you've really got to make that step up overseas. Yeah, well, I, I also think want to wait, touch... Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. One one point I actually want to make, because so many people talk about when players go overseas, they go too early, and they need to wait till they're in the A-League, dominating the A-League, and starting week in, week out before they've got to make their move. Tilio's doing that now. So I don't think it's any question about whether he should make that move or not. I don't think... Personally, I think maybe he should... Now, now he's actually, like, he's a starter, and he's got the starting position. For me, I would now continue playing like this to the end of the season and, and wait to the summer. I don't think... Oh, yeah, I'm to... not talking about this window. Yeah. I'm talking... I'm, yeah. well, I'm, after this season, I mean. Yeah, yeah. That's That That would be the, the thing I'd be hasty, uh, you know, would uh, be concerned about is if he's thinking, you know, he has to move now uh, at all. But just on Melbourne City in general. So Florian Berenguer comes back, comes back off the bench and it's just kind of like, right, so they've got <laughs> Fallon Barisha, Richard Van der Ven, now Florian Berenguer's back. Now, think about the centre-back options these guys have got. Curtis Good and Thomas Lamb started tonight. Nuno Reish is just like sitting on the bench. It's like, that's Nuno Reish. He's actually a very decent foreign defender um, in this league who could start for many, many clubs in the league. Um, you've got a front three of McLaren, Lecky, and Tilio, uh, which is working very well at the moment. But Andrew N- Andrew freaking Naboot is, is just sitting on the bench as well. Um, and then even in fullback areas, Callum Talbot is getting a game ahead of, um, you know, Scott Galloway, which is, there's no, no problem with that, but Scott Galloway is obviously a serviceable defender who's, who's been around, been there and done that. And then even Scott Jamison as a backup to, to Jordan Boss, potentially at left back. Um, 
Aiden O'Neill has now, you know, playing as a six. Taris Gamorka had that position at the start of the season. I mean, they're, they're absolutely stacked everywhere, apart from probably, you know, goalkeeper, where it's just kind of Tom Glover. Um, so the, the, this might be, in terms of depth, one of the best squads we've seen in, in the A-League. And it, I'd be, Matt, I'd be very, very surprised. They're now six points clear with the game in hand. Not just if they, I mean, I think the Premier's plate is, is for sure theirs for the taking. Look, I think we're potentially looking at um, the next dominant era in in A-League history, which I don't know is necessarily a great thing. But yeah, look, the only thing I... I, City, I think a lot of the talent there and the depth as well, yeah. Historically, the depth is, is unparalleled, but... Um, I wanted to sort of, I wasn't really given a segue, but I did I did want to just briefly say that with regards to their opponents tonight, you go back to that very first episode we did, Christian, you yes. and I, yeah. everything I said has come to fruition. I know, true. I know. And you could actually play um, it back and it, it's actually uncanny. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I just wanted to just want to touch on that. But look, um, we, Melbourne City and Western United are two teams that we talk about a lot. Um, and I just think that, that tactically what City have got going on their, their biggest strength is that they're, 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 there's this insanely tight competition basically between second and 11th. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit there. I mean, I clearly am because there are, there are uh, you know, big, big, big issues for quality and the gap is now at about, I think, eight or nine points. But yeah, that's more right. to the point that I'm saying is, is that there's Melbourne City and there's everyone else. And the depth plays a big part in that as well, because the fact that Nuno Reish is on, it's all like Nuno Reish, right? Like, like how is he, how is he on the bench? You know, Scott Scott Galloway has been a, a solid player throughout many many teams for many many years. He's been playing in the A League for over a decade. I mean, it's 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 nuts, it's nuts. So yeah, full full credit to where City are going, um, and a really big part of this as well is now the transition in management as well. Does does Rado stay on? Do they go for someone else? Do they try and get bring bring in you know more of that French influence as well that they had through Montbert for many years? Who knows where they go from here? But the one thing I'll say is you know that sky's the limit for them and because of what's going on behind them they have a lot of room to move around as well so yeah we'll, we'll see where this goes i mean it, it could hypothetically manifest into a bit of a 17 18 situation where sydney win the league by like 16 points but don't play in the grand final mm. uh and i mm. think we, we would be denied uh, a pretty big opportunity if that didn't happen but i think clubs like the wanderers and mariners can can obviously take some some um, solace from the fact that the finals is there to to undo melbourne city i suppose yeah, I just think the depth is is pretty insane, uh, and I'd be very surprised if they don't play in the grand final and win the yeah. premier's plate. Now, I'm not going to I'm not going to make any any predictions in terms of, in terms of championship at uh, at this stage because I do think it's still a little bit early. But um, let's briefly touch um, on the games yesterday. So we had Melbourne victory, put in another stinker, uh, um, and losing to the Brisbane Roar at home. And when I say stinker, I'm probably I'm probably being a little bit um, kind to Melbourne Victory because that was a blunt, um, passive performance from them. Popovich changed it up a little bit. He had Josh Berlante playing as a right wing back, which was a little bit odd. Um, and Jack Brimmer played deeper, and that didn't really work either. Um, but, Cody, I'm going to let you maybe talk a little bit because you want to talk about the Brisbane Roy. And to be honest, you know, we, me and Matt, <laughs> as, as he'll probably point out, we've actually sp- spoken about the Brisbane Roy quite a lot. But I actually think not enough people around the league are actually talking about this team because I actually think they're quite decent. Um, and then it's not not like 
they're like a contender decent. No, nothing like that. But I think they're a hard team to beat, which first and foremost in the A-League, if you can do that, is really important. But also now they're starting to get this possession game going under Moon where they're looking a lot better on the ball. They can create a bit more. Um, they've got, for me, a, a fantastic midfield metronome in, in Jay O'Shea, who I think is just a brilliant player. Um, and they're, they're potentially now starting to get the results to, to push them up the table. They've only lost one game, just like Melbourne City, which is quite incredible when you think about it. So, uh, Cody, take it away. Talk a little bit about the Raw. Yeah, look, unfortunately, I haven't been able to join you two on many minis um, due to other commitments I end up with on Friday nights. So I don't have anything that's recurring. I'll just end up... On- doing shit on a Friday night. It's quite unlucky. That's right. We understand where your priorities are. <laughs> no, unfortunately, well, the last mini that you guys did, oh, no, that was the two weeks ago, we didn't do a mini, did we? Because I remember I was extremely busy that day. But anyway, I digress. I not remember off the top of my head. <laughs> no, well, look, the point that I'm trying to make is the last time I was on a mini, or the one of the last times I can remember being on a mini, was the Melbourne City-Brisbane Raw game, and we spent most of that half an hour absolutely lambasting the state of the Brisbane Raw. And that, looking back, that might have been a slight overreaction. That was easily their worst performance of the season, but we've got to think they're, they're undefeated since then. They haven't won a lot of games per se, but one thing that they've managed to do is the fact that they're a very, very hard team to break down and score against. Because even if they do get broken down, Jordan Holmes, I think, has been one of the unsung heroes of the A-League competition this season, actually. I've been very, very impressed with his performances. But they've really got their defensive structure pat down, which I think was probably their undoing last season a little bit. I think we all understand they're a bit toothless going forward. And that's probably not something that's been resolved this season. And that's probably where their Achilles heel is from being a real, real contender to stay in the top six because we're not talking about pushing for the top six. They're currently there. So mm. that's where my question about how far they can go comes from because I don't know if they have the attacking talent to really push forward in that regard, especially with Charlie Austin, as much as people maybe question whether he did a good job or not. It was, I, he, I, think, was I, think that, I think they're a better team without Charlie Austin. It's as simple as that. I, I, think, I think since he's gone no, out, see... they've looked better. I don't think there's been much of a change. I think the chances that Charlie Austin's put away, any striker probably would have. I think it's kind of been a seamless transition with him, without him, however you want to look at it. I'd be very intrigued to see if they're a better team with Joe Knowles in that role because he's been playing left wing back recently and they've been letting Carlo Armiento go a bit further forward. Well, he played at left wing back. Se- he played left wing back this week. Um, which was a, a bit of a a bit of a um. If I remember, he did one. play yeah. left wing back last week too. I don't. I don't the, yeah, but anyway, as you say, at the start of the season, I had Carlo Armiento in that role, and Carlo Armiento was actually doing a decent job there. And I'd be intrigued to see if I understand Car- Armiento has actually been doing some decent work going forward. But if you swap those two around, if you had Joe Knowles pressing pressing further forward, the main reason I say that is because I specifically remember being at the WSW Brisbane Raw game at. Um, Parramatta in round three right after we spoke about how terrible Brisbane Raw was by the way and Joe Knowles is arguably the best player in that field. Mm. Charlie Austin scored that day but it was all Joe Knowles going forward he actually made um, Marcelo who was two years ago in a Champions League semi-final he made him look like a bit of a mug and if you're talking centre back who's come from the Champions League uh, striker who's come from the NPL 
is usually on paper there's only one person winning that battle, but the fact that Joe Knowles was doing a job on him was actually quite impressive. And that was probably the first day where I really turned my head and go, hold on, this guy actually might be um kind of an underrated signing for Brisbane. So I would like to see him push further forward. I understand, look, they've got a good defensive structure. If he's part of it, maybe you don't want to change it. But it's a left wing back. If you're swapping like for like, it's not going to do much. But yeah, I think that's one thing we really need to talk about with Brisbane Roll because they really have their um, defensive structure set set up. I think they're if, they're if they don't have the best defensive record in the competition, they're in the top two. But on the flip side, they're one of the worst attacking teams in the competition. Until those issues are addressed, I don't know if I see them making finals and holding the spot that they have currently. Yeah, I understand that. I, I think they could sneak in there, though, because they've shown that they can defend very well. Um, And, I mean, Aldred did not play, uh, and yet they still looked as solid as ever, and he is, you know, the, the master of And that was something that, that held from back last year, where without him, they kind of look like a mess at the back, whereas yeah. now, like you said, they run a game to the start of the season, but it looks like everything else is kind of molded around, where it's like, yeah, we've got a bit of confidence, we know what we're doing, where even if he's not there... They're still able to perform at the same level. It's kind of there's an old saying where if you're and he's a captain, so I think this analogy actually works quite well. If you're a good boss, you can leave your workplace and everything's still going to run smoothly. Mm. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with our Brisbane Raw back one now, where well, yeah, well, what he's I think able to is, kind of step I, out of it and they're still going to do yeah. well. What I think it is is Warren Moon really coaching the defensive principles really well and and forming this team into being into being very disciplined first and foremost. And now I think their next evolution as the season goes on is becoming a team that can create more chances because the, the issue for them and the reason why they're scoring one goal here and there is that they're not creating a lot of chances and they're not clinical enough. So when they get the odd chance, you know, and they don't take it, then it's it makes it harder for them to actually create again and then and get the opportunity to score again and, and then inevitably you're going to score less goals so that's their next evolution the victory as i mentioned like literally no penetration um it, it became for most of the game just a chance just a case again the ball out wide and, and crossing it into the box um and hoping for the best and yeah it was hardly a performance that that uh you know, would inspire any any of their fans watching. So, yeah, lots of work to do. Lots of work to do for them. Okay, Matt, I'm going to bring you back in because Perth Glory, Perth Glory yeah. are back. I just can I just the... uh, briefly, briefly, briefly touch on on Victory in Brisbane? Yes, yeah, sure, um, sure. the one. Yeah, two things I just wanted to say was, um, much like with Perth, uh, Brisbane are going to be eyeing the transfer window pretty seriously. So I imagine after about the 14th or 15th of January, uh, the same time that Adam Taggart will be eligible to play for Perth. Yeah. Um, I'm imagining some big names are coming in for Brisbane, especially in an attacking sense. Um, it's just a shame that their their progression and Charlie Austin's unfortunate situation where he's had to go home, uh, you know, because of his kids, that that hasn't been something that's sort of timed well for Brisbane because they could have actually been a lot more of a threat. But you have to obviously credit their progression under Warren Moon. Um, with victory as well, just wanted to very, very uh, uh, just commonly speak to this um, with obviously a lot of their ex-Perth players as well. I cannot believe how many of these guys, D'Agostino, uh, you know, Jake Brimmer, who obviously is the Johnny, the reigning Johnny Warren medalist. Mm. So many of these guys who appear to have really lost a yard and I'm not sure um, what has caused that, but it's obviously the reason as to why they're not performing as well. Now, Christian, the glory. Um, I think the one thing that was promised from Ruben Zadkovic was that... So, sorry, sorry, Matt. So just, just for some context, obviously Perth, uh, back in the winning circle, 1-0 winners against yeah. the Wanderers uh, on, on Friday, 
through a goal from Keegan Jelicic, which was actually quite cool to see as well. Great finish. Great oh, finish. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, no, that's okay. You are obviously the highest. I just wanted to, to obviously get, get onto this pretty quickly because uh, we're, I, I'm guessing, starting to be a little bit more wrapped yes. for time here. Yes. So, listen, um, you know, Ruben spoke a lot about uh, this home run being really big, and, he, and he, they've obviously stepped up for the occasion. Um, now, we've, we've obviously seen all the drama that's unfolded pregame. To just speak to it, obviously, um, an independent reporter has, um, you know, heard some murmurs, uh, murmurs and seen some things going on. Uh, they've reported on that, and I don't necessarily think that they were trying to be a bit of a shit stirrer. I, I genuinely believe that they had saw something that was unpleasant going on, but whatever it was, uh, Ruben has basically put it straight in the trash straight away, not just with the result, but actually in the press conference uh, had addressed it. So, you know, congratulations to the reporter for being so straight up and, and obviously good on Ruben for for really honestly telling the truth and telling what had happened. Uh, there was just a bit of a, a, a bit of a, like a strain on Mark Beaver's back. So, so he didn't yeah, go and totally play. Agree. Ryan Williams was, was absent as well. Uh, I think with a groin, did I get those two injuries mixed up? I, I may have. I'm not anyway, sure, but if um, I could just, if I could just interject very quickly here for a second. Yes. Um, yeah, I think it was very, you know, it made a lot of sense to put two and two together because the understanding was like Ryan Williams had done media uh, the day before. If I, if I'm not yeah, no, I know. Right? I was, so, I was obviously, yeah. yeah, and then Beavers as well was actually Glory's best player on Monday against Adelaide. Yeah. Um, so for, for both of them to be out suddenly uh, and then maybe there was just something that was seen, you're right, uh, in terms of some kind of scuffle. So two and two have been put together and that's where there's rumors of a dressing room uh, issue uh, before the game had come out. But uh, I totally agree. I think Ruben Zakovic uh, handled that well, uh, gave a really good, honest response. And I think, I actually think it was clear that they couldn't have been something that bad because Perth came out and they were really that first 20 minutes, like they penned wonders in straight away. They were aggressive. I thought Mustafa Mini was, was excellent um, in really driving that. The only real sticking point would be a couple of injuries, most notably to Salim Khalifi, who was, mm -hmm. I thought he's, I know I've seen some stuff where some people criticize maybe Zakovic, maybe waste him as a right wing back in, in that position. And, and I potentially agree. I think him in like a four, three, three. You have to understand a... tactically what's going on there though. Um, yeah. So I, I would like to speak to that, but the one thing I just wanted to touch on um, and not to rain on your parade there, Christian, I just no, no, right. think the thing that, that has been going on with glory for literally about four seasons in a row now is that the team that they want to start on paper has never actually started on paper. And so many of these kids have been coming through. Now it's, it's great to see, you know, uh, Jacob Dowles and Jacob Neuer, uh, Luke Bodnar found a way back into the team. Mm. I mean, it's fucking brilliant seeing these Bodnar guys, look good. but yep. You know, in an ideal world, Mark Beavers is on the pitch. Aaron McInef isn't injured. Salim Khalifi's not, not being troubled by anything. Ryan Williams isn't being troubled by anything. And there's actually a team there. Now, this has literally happened to glory season after season after season after season after season. And, you know, this is this is why I'm actually sort of actually really starting to like what, what Ruben's about, because he is finding a way to incorporate all of, all of these younger guys and really mould them in the way that Richard Garcia failed and even arguably the way that Tony Popovich couldn't do when he had, you know, his sons and that playing. I mean, for, for what they offered, they were all right, but they didn't incorporate into the team all that well. And I think that it, it's it's great that someone like Luke Bodnar, who's obviously behind the likes of Amini, Geo Colley, uh, you know, even Zach Duncan, you know, for, for him to just step up, start a game and play really, really well. It speaks to, it speaks to, I think, the harmony in the dressing room, the total opposite of this report that came out. So I want to speak to that, but also just, just tactically on, on, on the way that they play with regards to 
Um, you know, a lot of this anchoring out of the out of the right back position in particular, uh, something that Jack Clisby has been executing really, really well, something I never really thought I'd be giving him credit for, but he has actually really been pivotal to that. Um, and Salim Khalifi as well. If he's playing a bit deeper, his ability to be more controlling um, is actually a really important asset that, that, that goes ignored. And his ability to link up with the likes of Ryan Williams playing deeper as well has actually been really important for Ryan Williams' control and his progression as well in that particular position. Uh, position rather, The anchor of Mustafa Amini playing centrally as well, his, his ability from midfield to be able to be that anchor to sort of link up. He, I mean, he is obviously a class player. The guy mm. played for Borussia Dortmund, 200 games in the Danish Super League. We, we know all this, yep. you know, and, and I think that experience being at the heart of midfield is a really, really big asset to have. The only thing that I would say I was disappointed with from tonight, especially considering uh, Carlo Armiento's incredible form for Brisbane, was just the inability of Luke Ivanovic to do anything effective, really. Um, but we know he's, he's going to have that spot come, come that Sydney game, right? So, yeah. Exactly, exactly, yeah. But but Luke Ivanovic, I think, is sort of being exposed a bit. He never really was able to stand up at his previous clubs. He's had an opportunity here, and I just don't think it's worked out. Jacob Dowes, um, a lot of people in northern New South Wales are actually sending me messages asking about Jacob Dowes. I think Jacob's Jacob's done really well and stepped up for the occasion. I think Luke Ivanovic is a younger player where you're not allowed to just be proud of him for, for putting in a good a good shift because he's supposed to be maturing now. He's supposed to be making that bridge and and that gap, and he's just he's just not that up. So that's probably the one disappointing factor of the night. But um, yeah, all in all, I think even even the players that came on, Joseph Ford, Adam Zimmerino, my God, what a player Adam Zimmerino is. What a haircut. You know, Perth Glory what the fuck is going product. on there? Hey, the, the haircut, oh, it's he, it's the people's mullet. He's literally, Adam. all of Adam Zimmerino's <laughs> fans, it's all the Eshes and the 16-year-olds. So they get around him. They love him. He's the people's man. He's the people's mullet, Adam Zimmerino. Love him, WA boy. Yeah. Uh, so a lot to take away from it, but I think the one thing that you have to you have to respect here is the team harmony. Um, it's just been just been washed and, and a lot of promising things going forward with all these games at Macedonia Park. You know, think about this for a second. We're playing Sydney FC who are downtrodden. We're playing Victory who are downtrodden in this home run. Who's to say with four points from the six that Glory can't be making a jump now? And if these players are coming back in, obviously Aaron McInef, I think he's out for about eight weeks. So we're not going to be getting the heart and, and, the, and the soul of the team back in, which again has been a problem four seasons running. But I think to speak to it, honestly, uh, there's momentum there now and, and, and things are going on. So it's good. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, another couple of players, just Cameron Cook, mentioned him as well. Um, how, how have I missed Cameron Cook? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only goalkeeper of note to come from the Northern Territory and a mm. clean sheet, a real statement of intent for mm. a club that has been playing 40-year-old keepers for the last 150 years. 40-year-old so... <laughs> year keeper who, who copped a lot of criticism on Monday, that's for sure. Anyway, um, just briefly on the Wanderers, uh, who Mark Rudin's come out and said it, uh, Marco Rudin, Jesus, got to get out of that habit, um, has come out and said it, and he's probably right, where, yeah, the Wanderers can't use excuses. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're going to have to show more away from home. Uh, if they really want to be a serious contender, it's it's as simple as that for me. And hopefully, Cassini Yangi uh, is not um, too hurt by by whatever it was that uh, that had him um, down on the ground there in at Macedonia Park. I believe it was a quad uh, injury that was flaring up again. So hopefully, nothing too bad for for Cassini. Okay, um, let's just very very briefly touch on touch on the dub action because, of course, as we know, you two do of course uh, run your own front page dub. Uh, a league woman podcast on on this platform as well. So some dub results. Well, it's not our own. You are the owner of Front Page Football. We're just 
the ones that facilitate it. I think that's yes, but I I don't really it. play that much of a part in the production of it. Of course, I I uh, I of course just uh, just get it out there for for our for our listeners. So anyway, let's uh, let's not spend time talking about that. Let's spend time talking about the uh, results. So on Friday, um, just briefly, Matt might bring in again Perth Glory, who get a one-all draw in Melbourne. Very good result. Um, uh, but of course, there's a there's a shocking moment with Riley Basden, of course, going down. Um, what's definitely going to be suspected ACL injury, and she and she's probably definitely out for the rest of the season. Um, so I guess Kayla Morrison as well was was very emotional, um, witness witnessing it. Of course, um, as you can understand with with her own history with with ACL injuries, Matt, can you just maybe speak to this a little bit? Look, uh, so I I went to the three two comeback win against Canberra. And um, and Macedonia Park, really n- nice atmosphere building up. And the one player that was jumping straight into the crowd and, you know, chanting with us and singing with us, giving everyone high fives, it was Riley. Um, she's really bought into the vision of this club. You know, she's she's a, a absolutely, you know, just someone who's, who's representing the, the jersey really well. Um, one of the best foreign players I've genuinely ever seen in the A-Leagues, let alone represent this club. And... I mean, it, it honestly, like it's it's emotional. It's 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 very very hard to see a player who means that much to a team go yeah. through something like this. Um, the effect it had on Kayla Morrison as well that that is something you just don't want to see on on, no. on a sporting field. Um, it's it's just well, it, it really tugs at the heartstrings, and she seems to you know she seems to be in good spirits. But I think the problem for me is obviously. I don't know that when she recovers, if she'll have the desire to come back to to the A leagues because she she is really progressing with her career at quite a rapid rate, and um, might want to be going elsewhere and, and have have aspirations to, to head off to Europe. So I'm not I'm not sure if we'll see her in the kit again. I mean, obviously I'd like to, but I'm I'm just a little bit skeptical of that now. And and Alex in the Alex in the press conference was was saying time and time again, you know, it, it's to lose someone like that um, who you know you've you've basically set your whole team around to be to be going through that. Um, when you're just getting that bit of momentum back, I mean, it was a landmark result, really, because that because of how poorly uh, they were thrashed by the victory at Macedonia Park to to come back in the return yeah. fixture, get that momentum. Ten games left, you know, there is a, there is a, an aspiration for the top four. You can get that form going now. That's you know, three draws. It's not ideal, but the, the points are sort of ticking along slowly but surely. And for you to lose someone like Riley Basin, it's just it's tragic. Absolutely. Um, okay, Cody, let, let's finish up talking about today's results. So Newcastle, <laughs> who go 3-0 <laughs> down after seven minutes, um, it was just incredible um, uh, because I was still working at the time. And then as I'm leaving work, I open up my phone and I'm like, oh, I hope they didn't miss anything. And it's like sitting at 3-0 up after seven minutes. Okay, wow. Um, and then it's even like 3-1 after 10 minutes, four goals in the first 10 minutes, uh, which is crazy. I think it's I think it's the... Like for the quickest amount of time it's taken in an A League women fixture to for four goals to be scored, I think was a stat. I think it was A League women's or men's as well. All men's, yeah, mistaken. yeah. Um, uh, that was from Andrew Howe. Um, as this was unfolding, so hey, yeah. Cam, then Newcastle Adelson. though, Newcastle pull it back to three two, and you're like, what's going on here? Uh, and then they get sitting a little bit of a soft penalty, I thought, uh, which which Princess Sabini scores there to make it 4-2. So uh, in the end, they get it done. And then on that other game, which was on dub zone, you had um, Western United grinding out a 1-0 against Wellington, which for most of the, most of that game, it looked like, wow, Wellington could actually get a result here, um, which would have been incredible. But uh, Cody, maybe just speak to these two games a little bit. Um, the main one that I watched was 
Wellington and Western United. I do really enjoy watching Western United this season. They've been probably my favourite team to watch in the competition this season, maybe bar Sydney FC and Melbourne City, who are the natural um, juggernaut teams of the um, early women's this season. But Western, uh, Wellington Phoenix, when they step up, they can defend really well. They've got a very, very, very good, very good setup in that regard. And one thing that I think was a little bit different to what we've seen them this season, but we saw a lot of last season, was their ability to not just hold a good defensive line, but to apply pressure as teams starting to come towards them. And then also when they win the ball back, play it out properly and look to start fashioning chances. Um, since uh, Gemma Lewis has left, we haven't really seen that side of him, and it's been more we'll sit back behind the ball and just drill. It's almost like damage limitation. We didn't see that today, and to do that to a team that's before today was 5-5 five from five and now 6-6, six from six, it's very impressive, and it shows the confidence that a lot, a very, very young team has in themselves. Um, the reason why I wasn't really, uh, I'll say the word hopeful, wasn't really hopeful of Wellington Phoenix actually taking three points from this game was mainly because they do seem a bit toothless going forward. I don't think they really have a figurehead up front that is going to really take take grasp a game and almost single-handedly create something and win it for them, possibly. Ava Pritchard is a good striker. I don't know if she will single-handedly drive Wellington Phoenix's front line. And I think that's where she was. She was actually pretty poor, uh, if I can be honest with you. Um, Today? They, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's today, the thing. Today. That's what I mean. I think she probably does, she would work better if she had someone kind of there with her probably, to kind of help drive probably, that yeah, front but, line. But I think the defensive solidity is something that you can't ignore because, honestly, Wellington did enough to probably get a point uh, in, in many ways. They were very, very... Oh, well, yeah, it was a very unlikely goal to concede. Yeah, exactly. For, yeah. for them for them to pull that out out of nowhere was, was very, very impressive. The one thing I'll just say is there's an old adage that champion teams don't play the best but find a way to win. That is so true of Western United right now and you really have to consider them to, to be, you know, championship quality now. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to speak on, Wellington, though, you're talking about a performance like this where they were very unlucky not to get a point. They're still missing Lily Alfield. They're still missing Kate Taylor, who were their two best, not even arguably two of their best players last season, their two best players last season. Going forward, you're missing Alyssa Wyndham as well. So there is still room for improvement from them. And if they can stay at this level and add that quality in when they come back, who knows where they can go. Stark They're contrast to the Wanderers, on the table. I don't. Sorry. Stark contrast to the Wanderers, isn't it? That's what I mean. Like they're Wellington Phoenix are currently last on the table. I don't believe they're the worst team in the competition. I believe the Wanderers are by a country mile. I watched that game on Monday. I believe it was. I definitely know the second of January between the two sides. It wasn't the um, greatest game in terms of quality, but what it did show was when you have a side like Wellington Phoenix, who we spoke about them on front page dub actually how their existence in the A League Women's isn't hasn't really been so far to be a champion team, but more as a platform for young New Zealand footballers to really make that step up to a professional level. For the Wanderers, who are meant to be this um, massive club in Australian football, to play against the Wellington Phoenix side like that and do basically sweet fuck all is borderline disgusting. I am disappointed with all the changes that have been going around with the Wanderers club recently. The fact that the oh, I didn't, Cody. I didn't mean been... to get you going. Okay, on okay. You I'm can, gonna um, make one no, comment, no, and then no, I'm gonna go back to the just... game. I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna make one comment. I'm gonna go back to the game. The fact that that yeah, you need to go back to the game. Addressed... <laughs> the, the fact that this still hasn't been addressed by the Wanderers is pretty poor. I know the RBTV lads are starting to get on top of it. The more Wanderers fans hammer the club about fixing this women's program, the better. 
Yeah. Back to the game. You made that comment about Western United champions team win games when they don't play well. I and a lot of people didn't think Western United were going to do that well this season. I could see them being a top four team. You're talking about the quality they had. As much as they didn't have a lot of players that have played in the A-League women's before, the fact that they were doing so well in the NPL Victoria showed that they had the ability to make that step up. Yeah. So I don't know how much of a surprise it's coming as. Mm-hmm. Probably not to me personally. I think the part that is surprising to me is how well they've done. The fact that they are six from six in their first mm. in their first run at the A-League women's is quite fascinating and very, very exciting. Okay, very quickly, it was good that Canberra found some form. Cody, yeah. did you did you watch this one? No, no, you didn't. Okay, all right. I'm just all, all, all I'll say is it's just they've they've been they've really had to get this monkey off their back, and they and they finally did. Fitting that the two goal scorers were in fact Michelle Heyman and uh, Grace Meyer as well. But I guess disappointing. Oh, Adelaide, you said Canberra. Course, sorry, I was just yeah, that was that was Canberra. Of course, Canberra beating uh, Adelaide two 0 in the later game. Yes, no, no, I did yeah, watch this one. Today. one. I do apologise. Yeah, I right, just okay. didn't hear what you said properly. No, that's okay. I just was trying to be quick because I know Christian wants to end the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, look, um, I, I just I think that um, it, it actually is a, a big a big statement now for Canberra to kick on because with these last ten games, it's a similar similar thing to similar damage to what I was saying with Perth. Um, it's just that once you can trickle a few points, then you can sort of get that momentum, and that momentum can turn into you know six or seven wins out of ten, which can be enough to get you in the top four when you're in that position. So maybe it's a kickstart for Canberra. Maybe it was just a case of Adelaide not stepping up on the day because they were pretty poor. Uh, and there's no there's no denial of that, but yeah, credit credit Canberra for for what they did. I think there's a lot more that could be said about this Canberra side, but for the sake of time, um, Christian, I think it's yes. something that we'll be and talking about. Here's what here's what I'm gonna, here's here's what I'm going to do instead of uh, continuing this conversation is I'm going to plug your latest front page dub episode instead, so you can actually listen to Cody talk a little bit more and probably Brandt a little bit more about those and Matt Olsen. struggles. Uh, it's not a one man um, show, <laughs> and and Matt uh, as well, of course. So. What? What? <laughs> Andrew Howe, because Cody called Andrew Howe Matt Olson earlier. Don't worry about it. Oh Jesus! Okay, this is going to be a, this is going to be a running. Hey, attention to your podcast, Christian. Come on. All right, all right, all right. Um. So anyway, check out their front page dub podcast. It should be on the same feed uh, as this podcast uh, on Spotify. If that's where you listen uh, to our podcast from. Um. So yeah, just go and check it out. Uh, the recent episode was quite good. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a very good podcast. What's, uh, oh, Cody... they're all quite good Christian. Don't worry. All right, Cody. Uh, <laughs> can you give us, can you give us maybe very quickly, maybe an inside scoop into what uh, you're thinking about for the next pod? Well, look, I don't usually draft the agenda until probably the day before we record, which <laughs> me and Matt haven't actually discussed about the next one, but, um, look, if it's anything like the last ones, it'll be probably not necessarily on specific games or anything like that. It will be general topics around the competition itself. Um, if we're going to talk about a team, Matt, I know you've been liking Canberra recently and the fact that they are on this upward trajectory, um, starting to really be spearheaded by Michelle Heyman, who is in a position where she will be wanting to push for Matilda's selection as much as an outsider as she may be for that. I think that will be a very, very interesting storyline heading into the rest of the A-League women's season, particularly with Crummer also pushing for that spot, who probably hasn't done as much as what um tony would have expected of her this season but yeah it'll just be general topics not necessarily a deep dive into certain teams but more certain storylines and situations going around the mm. a-league women's last week we did do a lot about um melina Ayers and daniela galich who are two fantastic footballers and 
I am really hoping I can watch um, Daniela Galich and that Melbourne City side tomorrow live because mm. not just her, but that whole um, Melbourne City side, as much as um, their men's are a fantastic watch, the women's are just as much. Yeah, yep, sounds good. Uh, of course, one of very few uh, A-League women dedicated podcasts on, uh, on you know, out there in the atmosphere, Australian football atmosphere at the moment. So go and check it out. Okay, boys, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, this has been a prolonged mini um and it's not going to be advertised with the term mini at all three hour um, long mini <laughs> it's a one hour and 15 mini um but yes um yeah another episode of the front page football podcast in the books um reviewing all that action uh very interesting weekend to say the least in the a leagues uh and yeah that's been uh me christian marchetti your host cody jada matt olson and you can listen to us in the next one soon 